Who are you? I asked. A good guy or a bad guy? Alien shrugged. That depends on who you are. At this very moment, she was willing to wager. There were hackers just like her, sitting in a room a lot like this one, only in China or Russia, Israel or Nigeria, England or elsewhere in the United States. They're the bad guys to me. I'm the bad guy to them. I closed my eyes and tried to remember the quiet 18-year-old woman I'd met half a lifetime ago. How did she become this badass? And given that her career spans the entire 21st century of hacking, what could she teach me about the evolution of a teeny subculture to an ever more powerful industry, both illicit and legitimate, touching all of us today? I asked Alien to turn off the PowerPoint. I want to buy you a drink, I said, and I want you to tell me your story. But this time, I want you to start at the beginning. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast, sponsored by Pantera Press. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favorite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hi, and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Angus Dalton here with you. Today we're talking about a book that might make you want to toss your smartphone into a ditch and flee for the hills far from the reach of Wi-Fi. I'm talking to Jeremy Smith, who has written for the New York Times and The Atlantic. He's the author of three books, the latest of which is called Breaking and Entering, the extraordinary story of a hacker called Alien. The book takes you behind the battle lines of the cybersecurity experts who try to protect everything from your Facebook password and the savings in your bank account to the top secret data locked up in the Pentagon. Jeremy is here with us from Montana. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Very, very well, thank you. And a lot more paranoid about my internet uh, usage, (laughs) thanks to your book, so thanks for that. Let's start off by you telling us why you decided to write this book that profiles this enigmatic hacker known as Alien. Well, we're in a really funny time in our culture and our society, and this is worldwide, where all of us, every day, are targets of sophisticated and diverse hacker attacks. And we're aware of that, which we weren't until a few years ago. But if you ask most people, can you name a hacker? Can you tell me how hacking works? They can't. And even if you do a Google search for hacker, the images that come up are all faceless, shadowy figures or people wearing Guy Fox masks. There is no face to hacking. There are no real human beings behind it in our popular conception. And so when I met this real life hacker uh, and I started hearing her story and there were so many surprising pieces, I realized this was an opportunity to use her story to kind of give an inside track on our information insecurity age, both where we are now and how we got there. So how did you meet Alien? Well, how do you find a hacker? You just follow the shadowy figures and hoodies and debasements and... uh, (laughs) Uh, you know, look for the first person to go on the dark web. No, in my case, it was a little different. And that's, again, every time I thought I knew what I was doing, I was surprised. And that started at the very beginning. I met Alien because I went to pick my daughter up from preschool. I went to pick her up from preschool. Another little girl, a new classmate was playing with her. The mother of the new classmate and I started talking The mother asked, what do you do? I said, I'm a writer. I talked about my books for a while. Then I said, what do you do? 
And she said, well, tomorrow morning I have to break into a bank. <laughs> and I realized, ah, uh, this is a much more interesting person than I am. I'm going to stop talking and just start asking questions. And that's what I did for the next two or three years as I followed her story and learned much more about her and her work. Fantastic. So it sounds like as far from the uh, the shadowy hooded figure behind the keyboard as you can get. <laughs> but Yeah, uh, the baby wipes, the, <laughs> the frozen plush dolls, the station wagon, and she's, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo has, has grown up. Yeah. So how would you describe Alien? What's she like to be around? She's a lot of fun. You know, uh, she has a mindset that is different than mine and I think is in common with with hackers. Now, to be clear, she's a white hat hacker. So that means big businesses and government agencies pay her and her company and her colleagues to try to break into them. They break into places and write reports about it, as she says. Uh, and the idea is find hire the good guys to find your holes before the bad guys can. Or if you've already been breached, they sweep in, they try to figure out what got taken, how and why, or they train your staff or they do digital hostage negotiations like in ransomware when you've got to negotiate with somebody about Bitcoin to get your data back. They do all that. So how do you become a person like that? And when she started, I mean, her career is almost exactly as long as the whole cybersecurity field. There was no cybersecurity degrees or profession. And uh, she just sort of pushed through a bunch of barriers everywhere she was. So when she was at MIT as a undergraduate, as a teenager, she was uh, exploring buildings and physical spaces. And she went on to work at Los Alamos National Laboratory, and she, uh, where you know nuclear research is conducted. And she learned to ride a motorcycle and joined a traveling circus. And then, indeed, when she was on the job as a professional hacker for hire, one of her first jobs was breaking into a corporate headquarters of a major bank. She did that. She broke into their branches. And you're traveling to someone like that, uh, it's, it's, you, it's, it's sort of leap before you look. And that was not how I usually spend my days. But it was, it was fun doing research and traveling with her and a bunch of other hackers and sort of seeing how they they learned their wily ways. I did find out that you actually ended up in the emergency room uh, as a result of your research, madly following Alien across <laughs> the land. How did that happen? So it's a funny story because that was not the most likely way for me to end up in the emergency room of all the ways I could have in this book. I went to a hacker sort of organized shooting range in the desert outside of Las Vegas. I went to Los Alamos where... You have a sort of Grand Canyon national uh, park-like atmosphere that's surrounded by, you know, armed guards. I went to the rooftops and steam tunnels of MIT to explore the physical spaces, uh, along with the sort of student hackers there who explore, you know, buildings on campus. But what got sent me to the emergency room? I was following Alien uh, from one reporting site to another on a beautiful sunny day in Boston on three-speed bicycles, I hit a bump, I go flying over the handlebars, and the bike lands right into me, and I can't breathe. And so it wasn't, embarrassingly, it wasn't going hacking or doing something that should have been dangerous. But what was revealing to me was in this moment of real fear and crisis, she kind of whipped into action, and she got the bikes locked up right away. She rode in the ambulance with me. 
Uh, she made sure that I got the care I needed, which is not normally what I'd expect from a reporting subject, much <laughs> less a hacker. And that was that was really cool because I realized I kind of got the perspective her clients get because people who call her for help are very powerful people or institutions that are in some kind of crisis or fear some kind of crisis themselves. So they want her to hold their hand. I got her to hold my hand. It wasn't on purpose. And uh, you know, it's still a little hard to breathe uh, sometimes if I do a tricky yoga move, but it's a, it's a, scars are cool. That's what she taught me. Absolutely. And putting your life on the line for this book. I love that. Even if <laughs> the, uh, the story isn't as dramatic as it could have been, because there is, um, there's certainly a lot more dangerous things that you did. And I want to go back to this idea of, of hacking at MIT. So Alien at the start of her studies rocks up to MIT, chooses this pseudonym of Alien, and just after midnight on her first day on campus, she's introduced to a form of hacking that has nothing to do with computers. What is that form of hacking? Yeah, this was, again, some element of hacking that I had never really heard of before. There's a history of hacking and a tradition of hacking at MIT that's over 100 years old that predates computers. And what students are doing is they're sort of treating the school like their playground. And they're going to these hidden or forbidden spaces like uh, the roof of a dome or a narrow ledge on the top of a building or the steam tunnels that go between buildings or up an elevator shaft, in one case in the story I tell in the book. And they're just sort of trying to understand every little element hidden nook and cranny that they can get to. And they sign in with these little sort of Sharpies or other kind of markers but it's not graffiti because part of the ethos is you would never sign in somewhere where an ordinary member of the public could see. So it's a very narrow subgroup of students doing these daring physical feats of exploration, but they're doing it internally for themselves, just for the challenge and the sense of adventure and mastery and exploration. And what's amazing is there's this direct analog for this physical hacking to computer hacking, which again started with this spirited exploration just to sort of know the systems of our computer world and our networks, you know, in a way better even than the people who created them. And what happened is, of course, we moved more and more of our society into this computer playground that hackers had long been enjoying. And then, surprise, uh, they can see uh, our intimate information. And as that becomes a profession, it becomes very profitable. There were some quite elaborate pranks as well that were yes, conducted yes. as a result of this. What are some of the most famous examples of those? So going hacking just as exploring, but pulling a hack is this elaborate, ingenious prank that anyone can see the next day. <laughs> so uh, one of the most famous examples is the students managed to get uh, basically a replica of a police car on top of one of the great domes on the MIT campus. And it had flashing lights. It even had donuts uh, available uh, there. And think about the foundational skills. I knew about that hack, but I didn't think about they'd have to sneak past guards. They'd have to pick locks. They'd have to walk on ledges. They'd have to be able to take apart and put together a car in the dark uh, with a small group of other people uh, that they really knew and trusted and then get down again. So the next morning as dawn breaks, there is a police car on top of the dome. And there's dozens of other examples. One more is uh, the tallest building on campus, the windows getting lights in them. So it could be a working, playable Tetris game. 
And one more is they had a living room set that they set up complete with a sort of drinks table, a cat in an easy chair, a newspaper upside down on a very tall arch outside the MIT Media Lab. So those are a sense of uh, the, the, the hacks that MIT students have pulled over the years. That's so fantastic. And did you actually had a go at sort of crawling through these secret corridors and steam tunnels at MIT? Yeah, I'm, my, my, my heart is, is beating a little faster uh, just thinking about it. But yeah, uh, I was fortunate enough to have some guides I won't uh, identify, some veterans that, you know, met me and uh, after hours led me through campus on one of these hacking tours. And indeed, I was able to go through steam tunnels. I was able to touch. Uh, I didn't chose not to walk along too narrow the ledges, but we, we indeed got all the way up to uh, one of those domes on campus that I'm talking about. And uh, in the moment, I was moved by the circumstance and the exhilaration and the adrenaline and uh, I crawled up and I got to be on top of that dome at you know three or four in the morning and you just have this amazing sense of ownership and mastery and just this unique perspective uh, at the whole campus and then the whole Boston skyline in the distance. And you just realize how addictive uh, this kind of activity could be, especially for people who would be inclined to take those chances anyway. So that was that was really thrilling. Yeah, and at first when you're reading about this, it just sort of seems a bit of student fun and irreverence. But then one of the realisations that really struck you as you read the rest of your book is how hands-on and physical hacking can be. Like, it's really mm-hmm. it's really not just done by, you know, people in hoodies over the keyboard. Quite often it's nothing to do with the keyboard at all. It's, you know, people actually sneaking into physical spaces in disguise. Yeah, and Alien does that time and again. She gets into bank vaults. She gets into corporate offices. Another character who really, uh, he actually let me use his real hacker name, just as Alien let me use her real hacker name in the book, is a hacker named Deviant. He's one of the premier authorities in the world on lock picking and you know he's got videos you can find on youtube on how to uh get up and down any kind of elevator and all sorts of lock picking techniques and he even designed a special bookmark that i could use for this book as a promotional item that could be used to uh pick certain locks and open certain locked doors so it's it's as hand on as you know the bookmark in your hand. You 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 save your place. You take it out, uh, and if you're locked out of your locker, your house, your apartment, your office, uh, use your bookmark and and wiggle your way in. Perhaps have you actually used the bookmark to uh, break in anywhere or break out? Uh, absolutely. You know when my daughter's in the bathroom too long, I just gotta <laughs> you know, or she she and her friends accidentally lock the door of her room, right? Um, my agent used it to uh, explore her own apartment. You know, and that's one thing Deviant and others say. They say we improve security by testing it. It might be alarming that we're able to break into it, but did we make it a bad lock? No. You should know if you can get into it, then so can anyone else, and you should improve your security if you want to. As you say, these white hats and alien specialised in trying to breach the defences of lots of different sort of corporations at all different levels. Can you tell us about one of the heists that alien was hired to carry out that you write about in the book? Well, think about your first day at a new job. You know, you're nervous, you're excited, you're not sure how it's going to work. 
and you have your learning curve and you kind of find your way around the office and who's there with you. And one of my favorite stories in the book is one of her first days, uh, a new job. And they say, yeah, we're not sure if you're ready for technical work. Why don't you just try to break into this bank? <laughs> that's, uh, that's the uh, sort of low rung on the ladder at that particular operation. And it wasn't just a bank. It was, in fact, the corporate headquarters for one of the largest banks in the world. And the partner she was with, uh, you know, just didn't think she could do it. But she used what hackers call social engineering or human hacking. You're kind of manipulating people, perhaps with the disguise, perhaps to make you look more powerful or more innocent. Uh, and she talks her way into these corporate offices, comes out with a laptop. So that was really exciting. She gets promoted pretty much after that, gets some more work. The next thing she has to do is get into the vault of one of these bank branches. And she goes to a photocopy shop, you know, copies her driver's license photo or something like that onto her hotel key card, adds a little logo from a bank auditor association she finds online, buys the all-important $2 clipboard, which you know, makes her an authority figure and strolls in and says, this is an inspection. I'm an auditor. What are your security issues? And, you know, the manager sort of stands up, stammers and starts guiding her through the building. And they give her a photocopy of the log with any of their security issues. They leave her alone in their file room with all their customer files. And in, within 15 minutes, she's in the vault of the bank. So getting to tell stories like that, true stories like that, a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. You sort of get the impression that she could waltz in to any building that she wanted to and just take whatever information that she cares. Right. I mean, she has these amazing computer skills that are more in line of what we think of with hackers and hacking, and they're used and shown in the book. But you can get a lot of information just by going into an office. You should be with a camera or uh, taking pictures of uh, people's passwords that they might leave on their computer, grabbing one of their lanyards with their key card on it. Or, you know, one of my favorite subspecialties of this kind of physical uh, hacking is she had a business partner who she did some of these jobs with, and his favorite thing to take was shred bins. Because as he put it, they've chosen all of their most sensitive items and documents that they want destroyed. They've put them all in one place, and they've put that on wheels. <laughs> of course I have to take it. So, uh, you know, Things like that start making you look at what you think is a security measure in a different way. One of your chapters in the book is troublingly called A Hackable Heart Transplant. What's that <laughs> chapter about? So before she got that job breaking into a bank, and this is in the very dawn of the sort of information security as a profession, she gets hired for the information security team at one of the world's premier hospitals in Boston. And... As part of that, she has to protect patient data and privacy, but also just sort of the network that the hospital runs on. And again, I hadn't thought about how computerized and networked and data-driven a hospital is. But you're making snap decisions. You're doing communication across different specialties. And if you shut off communication from one room to another, one person to another, one device to another, lives are at risk. And so there's a case there where there's a worm or virus clogging the hospital network, and it's threatening the uh, you know operations. She runs through the hospital trying to track down this device, shut it off before it spreads you know the problems further. But when she gets there, 
that she's in a room that seems to be quiet and dark. It seems like a computer server room. And indeed, she finds the plug that the device is plugged into. And she's not immediately going to unplug it, but she has to see what it is first. And she slows down. Her eyes adjust to the dark. She hears the sound of slow breathing. She realizes that connected to these computers are little babies. And that's because she's in the neonatal intensive care unit. So you think about something like that and you realize how wide the definition of a computer can be. It can be a neonatal intensive care unit. And that's part of what she's charged with protecting. Yeah. So what are the stakes of slipping up when you're in this profession? (laughs) Well, obviously they're huge. I mean, we know what a compromise from hacking can lead to. It arguably you know, alters who's the president of the United States, right? So uh, it could alter whether a nuclear weapon uh, program develops or is secure. It can alter, you know, our ability to apply for jobs uh, if our data is spread too widely. uh, And it can change, you know, the medical care we receive. I mean, as she says in the book, If your credit card gets stolen, you can cancel your credit card and get a new one. If your medical history gets stolen, you can't cancel your medical history Mm. and get a new one. That's just kind of out there forever. And if someone uses that in medical identity theft, they might, you know, have a different blood type than you. And the next time you go to the doctor or you have an operation, uh, there might be mistakes in your personal records that could be very dangerous. Yeah, you sort of get this image in your mind of, uh, you talked about the white hats before, and uh, of yeah. course the counterpoint to that is the black hats or the yeah. the bad guys, if you will. Sure. Uh, you get this image of armies of white hats and black hats virtually mm-hmm. having this war behind the scenes. Uh, how accurate would that image be? I think it's quite accurate. I, ideally, we'd love there to be a war uh, in the sense of rather than just sort of a fire department coming in afterward. Uh, you know, if, if you can engage the black hats directly and stop them before they get too far, that would probably be an advance on where we are today. Uh, but the thing that was new to me and I hadn't really thought about was how professional these operations are. We still have this image of a sort of teenager in a hoodie that's typing into a keyboard and doing something, you know, for fun or a little bit of notoriety. And that's been, that tradition continues, but it's been superseded by very professional groups, not just at the state level that we're aware of, you know, the NSA in the United States and equivalent operations in other countries like China and Russia, the UK, Australia, but also um, in the black hat and just the criminal operations. These are not uh, you know, individual operators anymore. Just like Alien is not an individual operator anymore. She's a CEO of a sophisticated company with 25 employees and clients around the world. And so are the bad, the, the black hats, the bad guys. They are, they are, you know, large criminal operations that are just as professional as, as any other yeah, and by next year, Alien says that we're going to have 30 billion connected devices that are essentially sitting ducks vulnerable to being attacked by hackers. Uh, do you think we're going to be hearing much more about hacking and cybersecurity in the coming years in the daily news cycle? I think it's inevitable. I mean, we keep being sold network to network connectivity as a feature, and it is, but 
security needs to go hand in hand with that. Alien just showed me a recent hack where she and her team were starting to take down a bunch of networked security cameras. And we're, we're aware of smart fridges, smart doorbells, smart dolls, smart everything. But these devices are often very inexpensive and security is an afterthought. And her team hacked these security cameras not to spy on people, as you might suspect, but just to use their processing power to mine Bitcoin. So, you know, the sort of inventiveness and ingenuity that these hackers can demonstrate and that our own vulnerability produces is is scary. And I think, you know, we should think twice before plugging in something that's you know, sells network connectivity as a feature uh, until we're more confident of the security that it provides too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the stakes uh, become pretty high when we're talking about, you know, moving towards a society that relies on driverless public transport, driverless cars, which are all things that can easily be breached and controlled by hackers, right? Yeah, and that's just the security end. I mean, there's also the privacy end because, you know, I mean, if Somebody knows everywhere you're going, if they know everywhere you've been, if they know your complete shopping history. That's not a crisis today. It's not a crisis tomorrow. It's not a crisis the next day, but it's a sort of death of a thousand cuts. And we lose our ability to act privately, to organize with others, to protest in some cases, or just on a personal level to change. If we're so bubbled in by our data, it's really hard to change how you want to act and how you want to be. And that's that's scary to me too. As a result of writing, breaking and entering, have you changed your behavior in terms of how you engage with the internet and the cyber realm? I have. I've done a few really straightforward things and then some of the things have taken more time for me to figure out what works best for me. Some of the really straightforward ones that were just sort of part of Alien's condition for working with me were encrypting a lot more of my communications, setting up file encryption on my hard drive. Other things I did just sort of later talking and seeing so many of their stories, how easy it is to crack most people's passwords is choosing unique passwords, updating my passwords, choosing longer passwords, using a password manager that actually makes it easier to manage 50 really good passwords than it was to have four really bad ones. Um, And I also have changed some things that I hadn't thought of as being basic to my existence, but then realized are like, do I pay with cash or a credit card? If I pay with a credit card, that's fine. But I have to assume that that data will be kept forever and interlinked with any other transactions I do. Do I take my phone with me everywhere? If I do, I have to assume my location will be tracked by my cell phone provider and others with a cell tower, if no one else. And what do I use as my search engine? Probably my biggest go-to internet task, even more than email or web browsing, is Googling something. But again, it's not doesn't just disappear and the answer comes up instantly. In some sense, that those search terms could be stored forever. And that just kind of creeped me out, for lack of a better or more sophisticated expression. And I, I switched uh, to DuckDuckGo as my default search engine. I still use Google often, but at least it's a more conscious choice when I need it. And I'm more aware uh, that I don't know where my little whispers or queries are going. And so if it's sensitive to me or I just kind of want a better sense of freedom, then I should find an alternative until they provide better privacy. I think one of the lines in the book that is the most powerful in 
asking you to reflect on how you sort of go about engaging with the internet is, uh, you know, if you've got information on your computer or your phone or wherever that's valuable to you, it's valuable to someone else. Yeah. Even even like video game passwords can be resold on the hacker black market. So, you know, it gives you a, a sense of, yeah, if it's valuable to you, it's valuable to somebody else. And just the fact that there is a hacker black market is terrifying. <laughs> well, you just follow those kids in the hoodies onto the uh, onto the dark web and uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll help you delete, you know, your personal file. So. <laughs> yeah. um, so where is Alien now? What's she up to? Are you guys still friends? Are your daughter still going on play dates? Yes, there was this amazing moment right before the book came out. I finally got permission from Alien to tell my daughter because we just figured it's going to come out. You know, she knows I've been working on this book forever. Um, and she just, my daughter said, what? <laughs> you know, X's mom. And then she just went, there was this sort of pause and she goes, I did not see that coming. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was good to have a plot twist uh, for an eight year old because, you know, she's gone from four to five to six, to seven to, to eight or, you know, somewhere like that in the course of this, this writing process. So that's pretty funny. And Alien, meanwhile, is uh, traveling the world, leading her company. And uh, yeah, we definitely connect and, and reconnect. We've done some uh, book events together now that it's launched in the United States. So that's been really interesting just to be able to share the stage with her and just listen as she fields questions because, you know, I got to tell her story so far, but it's a story that's continuing just like our, our cybersecurity, you know, world is continuing. So I, I just love to sit back and learn and let other people do the reporting from now on. The book is so detailed, not only in terms of uh, Alien's career, but also in terms of her personal life and her personal development as a human. How does she feel about having her life sort of bound up in this book that you wrote? Well, that's a delicate question. You should ask her, not me. I don't want to. I don't want to say it. But no, I think um, you know. She said to me something really interesting. She said, "When I was a a teenager, I had this sort of conversation with myself, and I had to decide what kind of life I wanted to lead. Do I wanted to, you know, be rich? Did I want to be famous? Did I want to?" be charitable. Uh, and I think, you know, her sort of way she ended up, she says it much better, but sort of, I wanted to do what was most kind of interesting and exciting and novel. I wanted, you know, in one sentence terms, I wanted to live a good story. So she took all these amazing risks and she stayed true to herself through this development over 20 years from teenager to mid twenties to early thirties to, you know, mid thirties, mom, CEO, much more, you know, mature, stable situation where she is today. And I think having gone through that, having earned all those scars, I think there was some gratitude in just kind of having this story down. So it wasn't just sort of a dream and it was something eventually when they're grown up, she can share with her kids too. So that's the positive. And, you know, if, if it makes people in her professional world see her differently, again, I think that'll be there'll be positives and negatives to that. Um, you know, it is a world where most people in security are quite secretive and they often have good reason to be. So I think it was really brave and I'm grateful to her for, for sharing so much with me so I could share it with readers. 
Absolutely, and her life story is so fascinating to read. Thank you so much for, for joining me to chat about this awesome book, Jeremy, and I think a lot of people are going to be going and dreaming up some new computer passwords as a result of listening to you speak, so thank you so much. I'm thrilled. Thanks so much for having me. Breaking and Entering, the extraordinary story of a hacker called Alien by Jeremy N. Smith is out now from Scribe. It's available from all good bookshops, including the Good Reading online bookshop at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Thanks for listening.